In just a moment, we'll be considering a lesson, the title of which is on the wall to my left. But prior to that, the family of Bonnie Allen has asked that we have a special prayer on her behalf. A prayer, of course, in light of the accident that she suffered earlier this morning and perhaps very serious diagnosis, uh, perhaps a heart attack, just don't really know for sure. But the family has asked that we remember her at this point in a word of prayer, and so we've chosen this time to do that. Would you please bow and pray along with me? Our Almighty Heavenly Father, we come before Thee this morning so thankful for the opportunity that's ours to assemble in Thy name and the way that we are. Father, we love Thee and we appreciate so much not only the word of truth that we have in the form of the Bible, but the wonderful gift of Thy Son, Jesus Christ. Father, at this moment as we're so thankful for these things, we do so much enjoy being able to call Thee our Father and to approach Thee in prayer. At this point, Father, we wish to pray for Bonnie Allen. The accident that she suffered this morning and perhaps the serious diagnosis at this point, we just richly pray that they would be with her at this time. We pray for her comfort at this moment, and we pray, Father, that the doctors and the diagnoses that are made will be the effective and right ones, and that her health will soon be able to make recovery. We know, Father, though, that thou art in control of all things, and we pray that thou would be with that circumstance in every way. We also pray, Father, too, that even other members of her family might be motivated to consider thee, perhaps in a way that they haven't before, the great and wonderful wisdom and the powerful God that thou art. We ask, Father, now that thou would be with us with further activities of this day, that all may be a blessing, not only for us, but more importantly, a glorification of thee. And it is in the sweet name of Jesus. Thy loving Son and our only Savior, we pray. Amen. Life lessons from weeds. I know that you are often in a similar situation as to Denise and myself in that if you work outside at all, if you involve yourself in yard work or if you involve yourself in gardens, there's always something that just has to be seriously undertaken, and, it has, and it's weeds. But as the more I thought about that, it occurred to me that there are a number of things that can be very meaningful lessons, principles, and today I'd like to discuss several of them with you. I hope as you have your Bible that you will follow along with me as we begin to look at a number of features about weeds. To do that, here's some introductory comments. Happy is the people whose God is the Lord, Psalm 144, verse 15. And today, aren't you happy to know you're a child of God? If you're not faithful, of course, I know that you're not as happy as you could be. And I hope that you'll be motivated with urgency to think about what's lacking in your life and where you stand before the God of heaven. And I hope that the study of weeds may, in fact, help all of us to give some thought to that same thing. You'll notice about the middle of that slide, it is a remarkable truth, isn't it, that there are some amazingly simple but teachable moments in life. That is to say, events and phenomena that transpire, and they happen often, and yet in them is such a hallmark of testimony to God. One of them I thought to mention is, did you notice the moon last night? Wasn't it fantastic? Spectacular, quite frankly. And when rainfall comes in such a refreshing way, a gentle rain, may I suggest, here's some verses that when those things happen, may we not just think about the blessing of nature, 
May we think about the God that's behind all of that. The God who makes that possible and who overrules all of it with the majesty of His being. As you and I worship and honor Him in the ways that we should, it'll make our life more of a blessing too. But may I submit to you that not only are there teachable moments in relation to stars and the moon and rainfall, but weeds. And you heard me right, weeds. So as we study about weeds for the next few moments, let's begin our lesson like this. One of the things about weeds that seems so terribly obvious, but yet it's something that's worthy of serious deliberation on your part and mine, has to do with how these weeds come about. When the springtime comes and you're making ready to plant a garden or a flower bed or an area where you wish something particular to grow that you would wish to grow, one of the things that seemingly has to be done almost automatically is give thought to the reality of removing the weeds. But isn't it interesting, you never planted weed seed and you never made arrangements for the weeds to grow. They just seemingly happened. Of course, around a farm, many of us know a lot about cockleburrs, those pesky things that we just wish weren't there. You leave a plot of ground, at least where we live down in that part of Jackson County, and it'll be infested with cockleburrs if you leave it for any period of time. But yet you never plant cockleburr seeds. You never make arrangements to diligently bring them about. They just happen. May I suggest that that in and of itself is a good lesson. There are some weeds in life, you know. Weeds that can crop up in your life and mine, and if we aren't careful, they'll just happen due to our own laziness. We don't keep that spot of life clean, if you will, and those weeds just start occurring. Bad habits can develop, and if we aren't awful careful, they'll just slide right in and take over, and they'll do so gradually. They'll do so, though, with great force. But you'll notice we don't purposefully plan to do what's bad. We don't purposefully make arrangements for it, but it just seems to happen. Therein lies the point. The weeds of life, you see, can often develop. Do you remember the scene in Luke 11? In verses 24 to 26, Jesus spoke about one out of whom a demon had been cast. But lo and behold, it went passing through and it came in a while back to the very place in which it was. And it was all swept and garnished. And not only did he move back in, but a whole host of more moved in with him. What's the point? One of the points that you and I can readily draw is... The guy finally had the opportunity to fill a plot with something good in his life, but he didn't do it. And what came back was worse than what was there to start with. You and I might ought to think carefully about the weeds of life because they sure can develop. And just like those cockleburrs or other things that are not particularly desirable, they soon can grow to a great massive amount. You may notice some additional thoughts. I mentioned bad habits a moment ago. You know that the world around us, our friends, our associates, our acquaintances, they often, of course, have ways to impress upon us moments of decision. We often think about our young people in those circumstances, but all of us find ourselves there. That young person, a friend offers him a cigarette. You know, we'd sure like you to be a part of our group. Take this and smoke it. 
And there your heart starts beating fast because you don't want to appear an outcast to these people. You, for some reason, want to be their friend and you want them to be friends to you. And so you take it. Well, there a particular moment has passed. A decision was made. A bad habit has now perhaps been undertaken and who knows where it'll lead. If given its head, it may get a lot worse. It's not just smoking, though. You can think about lying, impure thoughts, behaviors. I find myself going to a place because a friend wanted me to go, but now that I'm here, what's it doing to my influence? Other people are seeing me here. Would Jesus want me to be here? Do you suppose I can be a faithful Christian and upstanding in a location like this? A bad habit, you see. Just like those weeds that seemingly proliferated. They grew so rapidly. Isn't it true? The weeds of life can do the same. You'll notice a number of verses I would ask you to consider. In terms of our thinking, that's one that we each have to watch with such care, isn't it? You see, no one else knows, at least with clarity, what you're thinking. You can hide that beneath the cover of disguise. You can hide it beneath the cover of total deception. May I submit to you, though, we all got to be careful because evil thoughts are something for which we'll have to give account to God, according to Matthew 15. And not only that, aren't we admonished in Philippians 4, 8 to think on things that are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and of good report? If there be any virtue, any praise, think on these things, the inspired writer told us. The weeds of life, you see, can be very, very strong. We all, as you appreciate near the bottom, are encouraged then to walk circumspectly. And I put that in quotation marks for that's the King James rendering of Ephesians chapter 5. We are told to walk with wisdom, to walk with care, to walk with the understanding of the urgency of the moment. We pass through life once. There's no chance to do it over. That means we need to make sure to not let it be encumbered with weeds, for they're no good. The first lesson then has been this one. What else about weeds? Not only can they come about, it seems, with such ease... Here's a picture. Now, that's no one's garden that I know of. I just found that picture on the Internet, but I thought it was appropriate. Would you like your backyard to look like that? I'll assure you, if you don't do anything to it for a while, it'll look something like it. Look how the weeds just grow so naturally. You never planted them. You never, in fact, fertilized them. They just happened. Your life and mine can look like that in a little while too. If we don't with care, keep the weeds at bay. Point number two. Another thing about a weed, shockingly enough, is that it can be rather pretty. Now I know not all weeds are, but some weeds are brilliantly yellow. Some of them have a very impressive purple-looking cluster in the center of it. Weeds can be pretty. But don't you and I need to appreciate this fact. We must never, ever allow the beauty to mask the danger that lies with it. And that's the point that I would wish you to consider here. 
We just highlighted a moment ago that weeds themselves can be so overwhelming. They can, in fact, take over the things around them. If you and I wish for something like flowers to grow, if we allow weeds, the weeds will overtake the flowers rather quickly. Weeds can be pretty, but that doesn't mean that they're not dangerous. It doesn't mean that they're not unproductive. It doesn't mean that they ought to still be eliminated. And so it is with those things in life. Sometimes there are things that occur and those realities that happen in which maybe for the moment it looks to be desirable. If I do this, he'll be my friend. What about after that? If I do this, she might go out with me. That's not a good reason. That allows weeds to start growing if you give contemplation. They can be pretty, but it doesn't mean that, again, they're still not harmful. Look at some of the additional thoughts you might notice with me. The Bible is filled with examples of at least this principle appearing before us. In Daniel chapter 1, the scene comes before us of this young man, really. And he was so far from home. He had been taken into captivity. And now while here in Babylon, the king set before him the king's meat. The desire was that these youths of, of Israel would in fact be fed with the king's meat. They would enjoy all the blessings in favor of being associated with the king. But Daniel had the nerve and quite frankly the courage to say, I don't want to eat the king's meat. Why not? It's just food. Aren't you and I in position to appreciate that Daniel knew very well that he purposed in his heart not to defile himself. There were weeds associated with that king's meat. The weeds of association to all that the king stood for and all the pagan gods of that land. The things that the law of Israel had forbidden him to eat. Daniel still held true to the fact that you mustn't allow weeds to be in life. And so he wanted to be faithful to God and keep the plot of his life clean, if you please, from weeds. What about that scene you and I read about in Hebrews 11, verse 25? Speaking of Moses, isn't it true that here was one who himself was, of course, in Egypt? He had been reared by Pharaoh's daughter. And as such, we remember that Moses grew up in this place, and yet the time came when the inspired writer said he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Notice with me, sin does have its momentary pleasures. It has what appears so appealing and enticing on the surface, but what lies behind it, what is its consequence and aftermath? is nothing but weeds. Moses could see through all of that, and he knew well to choose wisely, and he knew well to keep the weeds at bay. Now, that, of course, challenges you and me very carefully to notice again the language of Luke 16, 15. It is true there that we have one of those rather powerful and directive statements in the gospel according to Luke and there it says, what looks appealing or desirable to men is abomination to God. Isn't that a sobering thought? What men lift high as enjoyable, enticing, and the way to go, God looks upon as loathsome. He hates it. It's abomination to Him. May you and I be careful then to note 
that things that men wish to have are weeds to God. Are you and I choosing carefully? Are we choosing wisely? Don't ever allow the pretty weeds to fool you into a false sense of deception. Because look at what's next. What will a weed always do? It chokes out what's good. That's what a weed does. Let's develop that point like this. You and I know in a garden spot, again, one must eliminate the weeds. Oh, a corn plant or a bean plant or a cucumber plant might grow with weeds around it, but it sure won't produce much harvest. The plant will always be puny and weak because the weeds, it seems, just have the attribute of being stronger. And yet you and I notice in the Word of God that that thought is used on a number of occasions, not the least of which is this text in Luke eight fourteen? That scene is such a memorable one. A sower went out to sow. And you and I know well that some of the seeds fell on wayside soil, and as such, of course, the birds of the air came and took it away, and that seed never brought forth anything. But then there was some stony ground, rocky soil, if you please, and you'll notice that seeds did in fact come forth. They brought forth, but... There was no moisture or at least insufficient amount. And so it was that the plant withered beneath the scorching, burning heat of persecution. What about the third soil? I'm sure you've already thought about it. It was thorny ground. That ground was already infested with thorns. Now some of those good seed fell in that thorny soil, but notice though the seed did come forth... The thorns choked it out, Jesus said, and so it didn't bring forth. Isn't that intriguing? Jesus, what are those thorns? The Lord identified them. He said, it's the cares of life and the deceitfulness of riches. We all know about the cares of life. Maybe you have fond memories of what it was like to be 14 or 15 or 16. Dad, Mom took care of everything. They provided you food, the clothing, the shelter. All you had to do back then, and it seemed like a lot, I suppose, then, was to go to school and learn and be a good boy or girl. But as you grow up and all those obligations come upon you now, there's bills to pay and meals to fix and laundry to do and a yard to keep and a job to take care of, the cares of life. They too can be overwhelming if one isn't anchored to the Word of God, anchored to the church, anchored to Jesus Christ. Those weeds of life, you see, don't they grow in proliferation? We reach that age of becoming an adult and suddenly those weeds, if we aren't careful, can be so overwhelming and so daunting. You may notice in light of that text, Romans 12, 21, the closing verse to that chapter makes this memorable statement. A commandment's given to you and me. It says, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. That sounds like a lesson on weeds. What about you? Don't you let the weeds overtake your life. You invest the required diligence, the devotion, the effort to keep those weeds at bay. Because if you let them get a, take an inch, they will take more than that. Weeds. One last lesson might be that text at the bottom. Someone, I suppose, might be of a position to say, is it really so serious to allow the weeds to get, to get a hold in life? 
And you and I with quickness would turn to passages like 2 Peter 2, in which we read there of a Christian who himself had lost his way. The text informs us in verse 20 of one who had overcome the world. He had in fact left the corruption of it. But then it says he became entangled again. So he fell back into a way of life, a procession of being, if you will. And you remember what Peter went on to say, the latter end is worse than the beginning. The latter end with this man is worse than he was at the outset. Every one of us as Christians should often reflect on that truth. No wonder we must be steadfast and earnest, and we must be devoted to walk circumspectly, for if we become careless and let the weeds start growing, we'll end up lost. That's what the Bible teaches. The latter end being worse than the first, those two parables or descriptions are set forth. It's like the dog that turns again to its own vomit. It's like that hog, that pig that you've taken the liberty to wash in the first place that it wants to go was right back to the mud hole. That sow that was washed was wallowing in the mire. Isn't it true that we must be cautious and mindful of the ever-present danger of growing weeds? In addition to these three truths so far, there are more that you and I can learn too. Here's another picture. May I say again, that is a weed, but doesn't it look enticing? One might be tempted to allow that to grow, but we mustn't as Christians. In our life, we need to keep the weeds at distance. In addition to that, the next lesson, may I suggest, it seems to me, again, is a rather profound one in that it reaches back to the opening book in the Bible. Every time that you weed a garden or every time that you invest hours of labor to clear a spot for a flower garden, I hope that each of us will think carefully about the curse of sin. Why are you having to do that? There's not a single record that Adam and Eve ever had to do that in the Garden of Eden. God made all those plants to grow, and they grew with such pristine beauty. Everything that they needed for food was there. There's not any indication that they had to go about doing the kind of things you and I do on that account. They were told to till and uh, rather to keep the garden, of course. May I suggest it would appear, based on Genesis 3, that the curse of sin is what brought the character of weeds the way it did. It was then, after the sin, that God said, By the sweat of your brow you're going to eat bread, Adam. Because what happened? The nature of this sin, it has brought about the curse on this earth. And that's why you and I today have to labor in that way. I hope every time we now have to weed a garden or weed a plot of ground, we'll think about what sin has done. And we'll think about that which has been brought about because of it is you and I develop that point more like this. Weeds ought to be a reminder of what's evil. We've already developed the point that sometimes the devil can make evil look enticing. It looks pleasurable. Well, that may be true, but it doesn't change the fact it's wrong. And it doesn't change the fact that it's abominable to God. And it doesn't change the fact that ultimately it's hurtful. May I say to you, a sinner is his own worst enemy. He's only hurting himself. 
Oh, it may be pleasurable to do what you do with a woman that you're not married to. It may be pleasurable to lie or cheat or steal, but you're only hurting yourself because God is keeping a record of those evils. And not only in the final analysis hereafter, but even in the life here on earth, you're hurting yourself. A sinner is his own worst enemy. God wants you and I to live better than that. He wants us to live holily, righteously, godly, upstandingly, and rightly. And He wants us to be a blessing to not only ourselves, but those around us. And you can't do that with a life covered in weeds. You'll notice that the last point at the top of that slide is an encouragement of a truth that Paul hit home to the Romans in Romans 7 verse 4. There he made this point. We are married to Christ that we might bring forth fruit to God. You can't bring forth fruit to God with a life filled with weeds. We need a life that's dedicated to wholesome living, sound instruction and truthful matters from the Word of God. May we devote each day then to those matters. And that brings us to point number five. The last point. One of the things about weeds is this one. I thought I'd start this one with a picture. Let me go back one. Now that's an interesting picture. Again, I just found it on the internet. But as I had the particular point in mind, I was hopeful to find a picture that would illustrate the idea. It may be that, like myself and my family, you've often perhaps been driving along a roadway and perhaps there's a rock bluff, a very, very tall rock wall through which that road was cut. And growing out of the rock is some kind of a weed. Have you ever wondered how that weed is able to sustain itself in a place like that? Out of what appears to be a rock? And I'm sure you've noticed it too, even at, at your house or your place of abode. Your driveway, there may be the slightest crack in the asphalt or the concrete and a weed will soon appear. Isn't it amazing how weed can grow in some awfully hard places? Most of our lessons so far, admittedly, have been lessons that have been very negative about a weed, but this one's rather positive because it's an encouragement of the fact that a weed can grow in hard places. There are some things about the Christian life for which that should also be well understood. Let's develop it like this, would you? Isn't it true that as Christians we need a strong dose of perseverance, a strong dose of understanding that even in the midst of duress and difficulty, we need to remain true and faithful. We need to keep growing even in hard places. And we need to not let weeds develop in our life even at those times. Some verses might well be these. In Philippians 4.13, perhaps that anthem that Paul used near the close of that Philippian letter, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Or that text in Revelation 3.21, As the Lord issued that invitation to the church at Laodicea, it was to them that He said, If you will come over and 
if you will overcome the difficulties in the matters of life, you can come over and live with me. And may I ask you to notice, that's the key word in the whole book of Revelation, the word overcome. It's used well over a dozen times in that book. Overcoming things like the devil, overcoming the proliferation of weeds, overcoming the trials and oppressions and difficulties of life, we have to have a mindset of recognizing that when they come, let's not wilt beneath the pressure, but rather let's rely then more than ever upon the God of heaven and our Christian brothers and sisters, and let's be ready to emerge victorious without weeds, victorious, ready to continue in faithfulness. Another verse might be this one. In Matthew 10, 22, Jesus, as He spoke about the approaching destruction of Jerusalem, He said, He that endureth to the end shall be saved. Are you and I of a mindset to endure to the end? Or are we like the stony ground soil, the plants wilt beneath the pressure of persecution? May we not be that way. Just like that weed that can grow out of a rock wall. May you and I in strength and fortitude be ready to do what it takes to be faithful to the Lord no matter what. Surely one last set of verses might be those at the bottom. I'm sure we expected that first one to come. Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of life. The Bible doesn't promise eternal life to those who, let's say, just initially were baptized. That's vital, make no mistake about it. But that's just the beginning point of the Christian life. It's a life of faithfulness thereafter. It's a life of commitment and devotion to God thereafter. Does that describe you and me? What about that text in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, the one Brother Vestal read earlier? As Paul penned those words to the church in Corinth, after a scathing letter encouraging them to make so many changes, he said, Brethren, be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Much might be said about that by itself, but could you and I quickly note, no labor invested for God is in vain. The human family may not look upon it as worthwhile. Others may see it as unproductive, but rest assured the God of heaven observes. And didn't Jesus promise that God who observes will reward you openly? Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. Perhaps finally, in 2 Peter 1, verse 6. We are taught there that among the Christian graces or those attributes that are to be added to life, he says, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, to temperance patience. We'll stop the list at that point. Patience is the word I wanted you to note with me. That literal word in the original language has to do with perseverance and steadfastness and continuing onward and doing what's right. I'd submit to you that weeds have at least taught us many things this morning. And as we consider perhaps one final set of ideas, perhaps the conclusion might well be stated like this. Life lessons from weeds. 
to quickly summarize, we've noticed five, and perhaps you were able to think of additional ones. But it occurred to me that as you and I think about these, they can grow so easily just like the bad habits of life. We must be watchful, ever careful, and mindful that the devil's really the source of those bad weeds. It is with that in mind that we notice they can be pretty. And that, again, can mask their danger if we aren't careful. Thirdly, we observed, didn't we, that those weeds choke out what's good. And that's what makes them so harmful. Because in choking out the good, of course, that brings about unproductivity. And finally, the last two things. Don't they teach us about the curse of sin, how damaging and how utterly terrible it is? But of course, on the good side, we should be perseverant like a weed. We should be able to steadfastly persevere to the end. It might be there's someone in this audience who themselves perhaps has been brought to realize that all isn't well with your soul. Things need to change, and they need to change at once. You aren't promised tomorrow. Why not do the changes today? That requires that if you have been a faithful Christian, you need to repent of the sins that are now are present in your life. If they're known in a public way, come before us today and let us pray to God on your behalf. You must repent of those things and confess them, and of course, God will forgive. However, it might be that you have never become a Christian. Your life is covered with weeds at this point. Don't you want the Master Himself to rid them out of your life? He can forgive every one of those sins. His blood not only can, but it will if you will take the necessary steps to respond to His gospel invitation's call. If we can help you do that today, you must believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, confess His great name, and be baptized. And we'd be delighted. In fact, we'd celebrate with you today. Life lessons from weeds. If there be anybody in this audience for which you'd like to come forward and you'd like for us to, as we've described it, do the things that the Bible teaches on your behalf, we'd be honored. But now is the time to do it. Why don't you, while together we stand and while we sing.